This episode is brought to you by the Arvada Center because they're kicking off their summer concert series in June. Relax under the stars at the Arvada Center's outdoor amphitheater and take in acts like Melissa Etheridge, Big Richard, Tower of Power, Preservation Hall Jazz Band, The Spin Doctors, and so much more. Concerts are scheduled for June through September. You can find a whole schedule of events and get your tickets today at arvadacenter.org. That's arvadacenter.org. Today on CityCast Denver, Viva Streets 2024 has officially been canceled and transit activists are upset. But are they pointing the finger in the wrong direction? Me and producer Paul Caroli are talking about the future of car-free streets, plus new robots patrolling Lodo parking garages, and your thoughts on the yellow-vested helper force coming to downtown. Today is Wednesday, January 17th. I'm Bree Davies, and here's what Denver's talking about. Hey, Brie. Are you still freezing? I don't remember ever being warm. Honestly, it's been so long. It's like there's a chill in my bones. That's how I feel, but that's because my office isn't insulated. So you're in the basement, though. Isn't your basement pretty cold? Uh, It it normally is, but thanks to you, I got a pretty sweet uh, space heater down here. That was a good recommendation. I'm huddled up next to mine as we speak. All right, let's distract ourselves with some news. I think we should probably start with these robots that we've been seeing downtown. Um, I know you've had a run in with them. And now our friend Noel Phillips has done some reporting on them for the Mm. Denver Post recently. Um, What's happening? You know, it's so funny because reading this story, I was like, there's only two of these robots in parking lots downtown in parking garages. And I happen to be in that parking garage every week. So I had seen this robot rolling around before Noel had written about it. And I remember she came to be on our show and she parked in that same parking garage and came in to our show and was like, uh, there's a robot patrolling this parking garage. And I was like, and you were like, I know him. (laughs) He's cool. I call him Data because that's the robot I'm thinking of. No, actually their names are Lotomus Prime and Dave. There's two. Um, Which to me... I feel like those names are a little dated, maybe like Wally or Bender. Or, I don't know. But who's the famous robot? Exactly. Right now? Who's the robot that the, the Gen Z would know? I don't. I have no I idea. I don't know. I was like trying to like rack my brain for popular culture references of the last 20 years involving robots. And like I kind of couldn't think of one other than Wally. These two robots have been deployed by uh, parking garage management companies to monitor the garages. And I'll be honest with you, when I first saw the sign, I saw the sign before I saw the robot that said robot crossing. I was like, oh, this is like funny vandalism. Somebody just stuck this sign up. And then I see the robot and I'm like, okay, it's a real robot. And what does it look like? It's so strange. It's like a bullet, you know, like it's hard to explain. It's like not quite the size of an average human height wise. It's pretty tall. I think it's tall enough so you can see it maybe in your rear view if you were backing out. So it's like fairly tall, just like a white sort of bullet shape. They're kind of nondescript. The thing that I noticed, the thing that I noticed the most about them is they emit like ambient noise. <laughs> and I, I think it's it's kind of like with electric cars, they have to have some kind of noise so you don't miss them. But it right. like plays ambient music. It's very weird. Oh, that is weird. What are, what are they supposed to do, these things? So they are supposed to be watching for uh, suspicious activity, which is in this case, they're saying car break-ins were a problem. 
there was an increase in car break-ins and, and cars being stolen. And so these robots sort of just act as mobile surveillance. So there's cameras all over everywhere we go. Parking garages, for sure, there's cameras. It's like that, but it's in a mobile robot. But the thing that's interesting about the robots is um, if you, as a human, quote, linger too long in one spot, it'll start to count down and then it will call human security if you don't move. Weird. <laughs> yeah. It feels some parts of this are so invasive and then some are so innocuous, you know? That's the feeling. That's the weirdness is they're everywhere. So they, you feel heavily surveilled, but they also feel innocuous in that like, I don't really know where this information is going about me, who is looking at me, what, you know what I mean? And it's like, if we think about it too much, I think it could be kind of paralyzing, you know? It reminded me of this conversation that my husband and I have been having with our two and a half year old about his camera in his room. Oh, really? Yeah, it's pretty common to have a survey. It's common to surveil your children. Sure. And, um, you know, growing up, I remember baby monitors. Well, now they're little, they're videos. And our son, like six or nine months ago, was just like, camera, camera, I don't like the camera. And he was having trouble sleeping because he didn't like the camera in his room. And I kept it in there longer than he really wanted because I felt safer being able to see what he was, you know, making sure he was breathing when he was asleep. But we ultimately made the decision to take it out of his room because he hated it so much. And I just thought, man, kids are surveilled in so many ways. And this just reminded me of the world that we live in now is we're surveilled. Yeah. But he's sensitive about it, though, which is interesting. You know, I would expect other kids who are growing up with this to maybe not care so much about a a parking lot robot. Anecdotally, from talking to friends who's who've got kids our age, uh, their kids don't either notice the camera or don't care. And so it is weird to me that my son is hyper vigilant about it. Like we'll be at Target or we were at Dairy Queen the other day and he points out where the camera is anywhere we are. He goes, there's the camera. There's the camera. So maybe my son will be one of those people that like <laughs> eventually like tries to attack and kidnap a robot. <laughs> Or uh, or push one into a fountain, <laughs> like that video in Noelle's story. Yes. Or those, like, robots that look like animals, kind of, that they have, like, patrolling and people just, like, kick them over and stuff. At any rate, uh, there's not they're not ubiquitous yet. So I wouldn't say it's anything too much to worry about, but it's the same concerns that surveillance has always had. Who are we surveilling? Yeah. Who has control over that surveillance? Who is maybe being profiled? Who is more prone to being profiled, whether it's a robot or a human? These are all issues that still scare me to death. But these these security robots that Noel uh, reported on. Oh, I should say, though, they claim according to the property management company that she talked to, since they deployed the robots, they've seen a more than 70% decrease in car thefts and vandalism. 70% is huge. Yeah. So apparently that thing where you're lingering and it thinks you're suspicious is working. Or maybe it's a deterrent. Yeah. Maybe just like, it's just that extra awareness. Like, oh, this parking lot is patrolled by a robot. I'm not gonna, that's not the parking lot I'm gonna hit or whatever. But yeah, I don't know. It's an interesting new thing happening. Yeah. That's for yeah, sure. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how this plays out. Because again, there's only two of them downtown right now. But I don't know. We'll see. I want to talk about this press release that we got late last week from the Denver Streets Partnership that said the Viva Streets program for 2024 was canceled. Before we get into the the sort of drama around the cancellation, Paul, what is or or was Viva Streets? 
Yeah, Viva Streets was this program um, that the city kind of got excited about last summer, late spring, summer. Um, it was four Sundays where uh, all of Broadway or a lot of Broadway and Welton Street were shut down to cars. Um, so the whole idea was modeled after this thing that's been going on in Bogota, Colombia since the 70s, which draws like hundreds of thousands of people downtown to these car-free streets. Everybody celebrates, you know, people set up uh, shops, little kiosks, everyone you know, that's, it's a, it's a big celebration, but here in Denver, uh, it was kind of a pilot program, you know, this first year, um, celebrated by transit lovers, cyclists, transit activists. I remember at least two of these days were pretty rainy days, yeah. uh, when it was happening. So it was kind of like tampered some of the enthusiasm. Um, but otherwise people seem to really love it, you know? Um, and, and according to the Denver streets partnership, last year's event brought more than 40,000 people, uh, downtown over the course of four Sundays. That's crazy. I know. I know. I mean, is that a lot? I don't know if it wasn't for the rain, it probably would have been more, maybe it's a lot. I, I honestly don't know what they, what they were expecting. But according to a survey that they did afterwards, the Streets Partnership says 76% of Viva Streets respondents, of the survey respondents said they were more likely to walk or bike for future trips. And 48% they were said they were more likely to take the bus for future trips. So at least for these transit activists, they saw the thing as, as a big success, I think. Yeah. And I think those numbers, I see why they, those are the kinds of things they look at because it's really about behavior changes. And like these kinds of projects show people a different possibility, a different use for our streets, I guess, is how I would think about it. Um, but so 40,000 people, I, I don't know, to me sounds like a lot. But Denverite reported that Viva Streets won't return due to, quote, permitting and traffic control issues with the city. Paul, I know you made some phone calls. What did you find out? Well, it's a bit of a complicated story because there are different partners in this thing are saying different things. Like, like Denver Streets Partnership, who we've been talking about, their executive director, Jill Locantore, said, really, it's just the logistics of making the permitting work with the city. And we feel like that's eminently doable if there's enough will from the top, from the mayor's office to make that happen. Um, so they're now circulating a petition calling on the mayor to do just that, to make it happen. Now, like you said, I, I looked into it a little bit more. Um, Denverite reported the mayor's office themselves have said it wasn't their call, that it was in fact the Denver, the downtown Denver partnerships call. Um, so that's who I checked in with. I talked to their head, uh, Courtney Garrett, and she just paints a much more um, complicated picture, which is like, it's not really exactly only about the permitting, which really does make it seem like it's just the mayor saying he's not excited about this. Um, Courtney Garrett talked about, you know, resources. She talked about barricades. She talked about getting a lot of people together to make this huge thing happen. You know, um, Jill Locantore in this article was talking about how organizers had already raised $250,000 in a grant that I, I later learned was from Dr. Cog. Mm -hmm. Um, but uh, according to Courtney Garrett, that would have only covered a, a fraction of the cost. Like mm -hmm. she says that last year, the whole event for four days for 40,000 people out in these car-free streets, it cost $650,000. Interesting. Okay. Because I thought that grant sounded big, right? $250,000 to do this shutdown of the streets. I guess. <sighs> yeah. And what are you even really paying for? You know, it's more like the absence yeah. of something. But, um, but yeah, Courtney Garrett says it's like, if you're closing streets, you need police. They hired off-duty police uh, for security. You needed uh, the transportation and infrastructure department and like safety protocols. Um, 
And, and it's this huge project, you know, it's all the way up and down these two big streets. So getting people excited, getting people involved, it's just a giant project. Yeah, it's definitely more than just like when a street gets shut down for a neighborhood uh, festival or which is something that the city in encourages and has programs to do. I, I think every summer I go to a festival like that where it's, you know, just like a neighborhood celebration and they shut down one street versus like two pretty major streets that run through the city's core. I can see that being a much bigger lift also the conversations around like which which businesses benefit and which ones maybe see a drop in sales and all these other things they have to be accountable for. Do we know, I know that this is kind of landed on um, the downtown Denver partnership's shoulders, but do we know how ultimately how the mayor feels about transit? Uh, well, according to Courtney Garrett, the mayor has been very supportive of this program, both when he was a candidate last spring and after he was elected. Apparently she and him had a really nice one-on-one -on -one conversation where they were walking up and down car-free streets and he expressed a lot of support for this. So from what I can tell, this was not the mayor's call. Mm -hmm. You know, yes, maybe he could have pushed harder. Maybe he could have used the bully pulpit or like negotiated himself with some of these sponsors to get more money on board, but... I do not think that this was the mayor's decision or really reflective of the mayor's priorities. It really sounds to me like the downtown Denver partnership wanted to give themselves a little bit more time to put together a bigger and better event next year, as opposed to, and here's where things get interesting, um, a, maybe a smaller, more reserved event this year, which was what they were considering. That's what Courtney Garrett told me. And they're considering it. We don't know if that's actually going to happen or not. No, I don't think they're going to do it. Okay. I don't think they're going to do it. This is, this is something they were talking about before the cancellation. Hmm. They've canceled it for this year. They're talking, they're, they're resetting and going to try to drum up in excitement again for next year. Um, but this year it's not going to happen. They, they said it was, they really wanted to connect neighborhoods. Mm. So if they were just going to focus on one neighborhood, it would have felt like a disservice. That's, that's Courtney Garrett's word for it. But the fact that they were considering alternate routes and a more limited scale tells me, and this is just me speculating, tells me it's more about the money. Interesting. I, I mean, I can see both sides of it, it being very expensive. And then also the, you know, Denver Streets Partnership and other transit advocates wanting to continue to build that momentum. Because I think that's important too, is folks counting on something happening every year helps it become a tradition or something that the city always is known for. So yeah, I mean, I can absolutely see it from the the, the transit activist perspective, like yeah. wanting to build that momentum. Clearly, that's in their interest. But for the Downtown Denver Partnership, this event was also about activating downtown. And if we're talking about $650,000 and maybe a, a shortfall of, uh, boy, I don't want to do math in public right now, but, uh, <laughs> oh boy, like 400000 yeah. 650 minus $250,000, um, would all that money and the time and energy it would take to get it be better spent on other programs downtown? This episode is brought to you by Pine Melon, the farmer's market delivered. Pine Melon is a next generation grocery delivery app that partners with over 200 farmers, ranchers, and producers in Colorado to help make fresh, locally sourced foods available to the Denver community at fair prices. Get high quality meats, eggs, and dairy from small local farms, fresh baked breads from local bakeries, and more, as well as all of your favorite pantry staples. 
Best part is, Pine Melon offers same-day delivery to Denver and soon Boulder within a two-hour window, no subscription necessary. Save time in your busy schedule and get fresh and healthy groceries delivered right to your door. Join the movement and support local today. Use promo code CityCastDenver for $75 off your first delivery at PineMelon.com. That's PineMelon.com. Well, as always, we love hearing from you, our brilliant and hilarious listeners, about the things that you care about. Um, So this time we got a couple of responses to our conversation from last Friday about Denver's new public-private downtown ambassadors program. And um, this was specifically about something we talked about quite a bit, which was their outfits, these yellow vests. Hello. Good morning. This is Bailey Rose, your friendly and highly critical fashion activist. And Justine asked, how much did those vests cost? And I can surely confidently say not enough. And, Paul, you mentioned that, you know, they went with Cotopaxi based out of Salt Lake City instead of VF Corp. But, you know, it's mostly white males who are in those executive offices and women garment workers in countries of color that actually do the garment work. And fashion is so overproduced and overconsumed that the correct way to go about identifying workers if they wanted to do that would employ would be to employ local garment workers upcycling already overproduced and overconsumed textiles um, to whatever their desire is. Blanks and merch and swag are never cool. Overproduction and overconsumption is never cool. So just a reminder, and Paul, you also well know that all that fashion is made out of fossil fuels. So none of it's actually local or sustainable. <laughs> Have a great time. Hi, Bailey Rose. <laughs> Hi, Bailey. Thanks for calling in. Yeah, this is a great take. I think it's... um it's just underlying any conversation we have about consumption and uh, production is who's making the decisions and then who's ultimately making those products. And I think that was an excellent point on her part is what's really local, right? I mean, Melanzana, maybe, in Leadville, they're like an actual, I think they actually make their garments there. But is Cotopaxi doing that here? Is, you know, is North Face doing that here? Probably not. Yeah, I don't know. Um, to, to answer a couple of Bailey's specific questions, how much do these things cost? She says not enough. I did check the Cotopaxi website. They cost about $82 for, for a vest like this. Um, but then while I was on their website, I learned a little bit about their sustainability practices. And I, I got to give some credit here. I did not did not know Cotopaxi actually does seem to prioritize this, although all these brands say this. Mm -hmm. um, so I so I checked on uh, sustainablereview.com and, and they say that Cotopaxi is actually, you know, pretty good. Uh, they, they rated it as a, it's a start in terms of their environmental practices um, because they do use eco-friendly materials. They use upcycled materials. I guess that's why their bags are these like weird rainbow colored designs is because some of the, the fabric is, you know, left over and, and upcycled. I'm pretty sure, hmm. um, from other companies. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's, that's a point well taken. Yeah, no, this was, it gives us something to think about. Um, as we, 
I don't know. Just go forward. I, I mean, this is such a con- this has been a conversation. I don't want to say it's not been a conversation, but I was thinking about this the other day. I was having a conversation with some friends about um, reusable cups, right? Mm-hmm. And this trend in like the Yeti cup. Now it's the Stanley cup and, you know, all these different cups. And what's the point of buying a new cup every six months if they're supposed to be reusable forever? <laughs> Shouldn't you just be using one for the rest of the end of time, you know? So trends play a factor into these conversations too, what goes in and what goes out and how we consume those things. Well, one other curious connection here with our Viva Streets conversation, um, you know, talking about the money that may or may not have been available uh, for Viva Streets to continue. I, I noticed that the 2023 edition of Viva Streets, they're biggest sponsor, the biggest logo on the the press releases that went out last year was the VF uh, Foundation, which is VF Corp's uh, charitable wing. And uh, I checked in with uh, Courtney Garrett after we talked. I asked if VF uh, had agreed to support the event this year. Um, And she said that they were in talks, but there was no deal made at the time of the cancellation. Oh, See, where I thought you were going to go with that was how much did the vests cost and could we have just put that money towards Viva Streets? <laughs> but that's not that's not what we're talking about. Um, OK, and we heard we had this wasn't the only comment we got about um, about the vests, about these yellow vests. So uh, who else did we hear from, Paul? Yeah, this is a text. It's from Laura in Fort Collins. Laura says, I'm just listening to the pod. Uh, I'm just listening to the episode from Friday on the yellow vests and wondering why not flannel vests? Wouldn't that be way more Denver and Colorado in general? If you were visiting or new to the area, would you trust someone in a mustard yellow puffer vest to direct you where you need to go, or someone wearing the unofficial red and black checkered fleece uniform of Colorado mountain folk and craft beer hipsters alike? And the city probably could have purchased all the flannel shirts and vests they needed from the Goodwill on Broadway and saved a boatload of money and kept textiles out of the landfill because that's exactly where these yellow vests are headed. Yeah, I agree with that last statement for sure. This this feels like they're not going to last long, but I don't know. What did you think about that characterization of the idea of flannel, Paul? Oh, I mean, yeah, it's great. Flannel's the best. It's great, great uh, fabric. Love it. Wearing it right now. Yeah, I was going to say, you are you are wearing flannel right now. Yeah, you want to ask me for directions downtown? I'll give you good ones. <laughs> Paul, you should just go stand on the 16th Street Mall and see how many people ask you for directions because you're wearing a flannel. Yeah, maybe I will. Yeah, I don't maybe know. I will. Well, if you have thoughts or feedback on anything you've heard on this show or any of our episodes, we would love to hear from you. You can text us or leave us a voicemail at 720-500-5418. That's the always open CityCast Denver hotline at 720-500-5418. Paul, thanks for joining me for this midweek news roundup. Thanks, Bree. See you next time. That's all for today here on CityCast Denver. If you enjoyed the show, why not take a minute to tell Cotopaxi CEO David Huang about us? Rate the show wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe to our morning newsletter and learn more about us at denver.citycast.fm. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. See you later. I just saw a documentary this weekend about uh, the East Bay punk scene called Turn It Around. And it was a great, phenomenal documentary. But what was really interesting was it, the end of it is sort of this end conversation about DIY and the the venue that Green Day came out of basically 
instituted a no major labels policy after they got signed and they weren't allowed to play their own venue anymore, like the DIY venue they grew up in. And I thought it was cool because they really told the real story. And then at the end, you find out Green Day Executive produced this whole documentary. <laughs> it was cool. Great documentary. Free on YouTube. 